From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. I've covered a lot of ground on foot, and I have no doubt that I can get us from here to Maine. However, I promise you there will be complications. There will be setbacks. ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sound, sound bites, and audio tidbits we find all over the world. On the air, the internet. Some of this trip won't be very pretty. We listen to everything we can get our ears on and play you the best of what we hear each week on ReSound. But I do have a sense of humor. I hope you do, too. Hi, Mom. We're going to be living out here on the road for the next year. We might as well have some fun. The sun is just about to rise over the mountains. Walking down 10th Ave, getting nearer and nearer. I'm looking out of our window now, a hole in the sandbag wall in the back of the hooch, looking out toward the east, up toward home. It's been said that there are only two stories in the world. A person goes on a journey, and a stranger comes to town. If you think about it, it's kind of true. Moby Dick, man goes on a journey. Lolita, stranger comes to town. Goldilocks and the Three Bears? Well, it depends on how you look at it. From Goldilocks' perspective, girl goes on a journey. From the bear's perspective, a stranger comes to town. Both stories can be lonely stories. In one, a person sets off into the unknown. In the other, a person arrives in a completely foreign place. Even if the stories evolve into something more complicated, loneliness is the engine that moves them, driving the push and pull of departure and arrival, of leaving home and trying to find it again. Long way from home. Actually, I guess home is closer straight down. So today on ReSound, stories about loneliness which is to say, stories of all kinds. It's hard to imagine a lonelier scenario. If Lucy met her best friend in person, her life expectancy would be cut in half. Here's Unless We Showed Up in Hazmat Suits by Hilary Frank. This is the very first speed I do. Lucy didn't have many friends growing up. This is the final speed I do. While other kids were running around, playing on their lawns, she was inside, clearing mucus out of her lungs. She has cystic fibrosis. Now Lucy lives in a tiny box of a house on the corner of two alleys in Philadelphia. Every day, while she's going through her morning routine, she hears this at the intersection outside her window. The girl who rides the powder blue bike looks like Pippi Longstocking. She's got red braids, freckles, sometimes even striped socks. Each time she passes, Lucy runs to the window. She wants to call out to the girl. She wants to grab her by the wrist and bring her inside for a hot cup of tea. She's the girl who has more in common with Lucy than anyone in the world. That's that's really kind of the way it is. The girl doesn't know it. But Lucy is the person she chats with online every night. They met a few months ago on a message board for people with CF. We basically found each other through these posts that were about pregnancy. Lucy recognized the girl's braids in her picture right away. And, you know, picked up on the fact that we were both trying to conceive at the same time. 
Lucy and the bike girl tell each other everything. They talk about how their doctors have advised them not to have babies. They talk about their husbands coming to terms with the idea that they might wind up as single dads. They swap coughing techniques. She taught me this technique of the arms to really thrust the air out like... (laughs) Recently, the girl told Lucy she wished that they could be real best friends, that they could give each other pedicures and play Connect Four. Lucy had an urge to run down the street with nail polish, knock on the girl's door, and tell her they were neighbors. But it would be too dangerous. Online we have signatures, and hers says that she has Bisapatia. Bisapatia is a type of bacteria that isn't harmful to most of us, but it's different for people with CF. I would inhale some of these germs, and when you are diagnosed with having Bisapatia in your lungs, your life expectancy is cut in half. When we both got pregnant within weeks of each other, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm never going to get to be able to see your kid. Like, that was just, that tore me up a bit. And I was like thinking about Fairmount Park, and I was like, oh, you know, we could stand like three feet apart, and I could make sure I'm upwind of her. And <laughs> I think that was might have even been in a dream. Then I realized, I'm like, yeah, this is not going to happen, unless we both showed up in like hazmat suits or something. That was Unless We Showed Up in Hazmat Suits by Hillary Frank. The story blends reported fact and fiction. Hillary took an actual interview she recorded with a real woman with cystic fibrosis and then wove a story around it. The piece was submitted to the 2007 Short Ducks Challenge. Hillary went on to produce a longer version of the story for This American Life, which you can find a link to at thirdcoastfestival.org. Loneliness. Loneliness comes to all of us sooner or later. You may sit here today and say, oh, I'm not lonely, but I promise you that at some point or time in your life, you experience loneliness in your life. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival. I'm Gwen Maxi. Two artists in Toronto were walking on the shore of Lake Ontario when they noticed what looked like a pile of white garbage bags floating in the shallow water. They got closer and discovered it was a wedding dress. They pulled it out, squeezed out the sand and water, and then set about trying to uncover the mystery of who it belonged to and why she threw it away. Here's the wedding dress in the lake. Did they exist or not? On an island or not? Was it an ocean or not? That swallowed them up or not? Did someone 
have someone to love? Did someone have someone to fight with? Did everything happen or nothing? There or not there? They've claimed the, this section for themselves. You know, that the pair has claimed this territory right now. Yeah. And the male of the, uh, of the swans, the drake, he wants all of the attention and, and uh, the food that is being doled out by, by uh, that lady. So I'm gonna take a picture of him with the sun. He's doing that uh, kind of a puffy stance, which I like. They must have differed violently, must have stolen and bestowed, locked in embrace so long that all remaining in their arms was air, transparent after lightnings winged away. Joe Fioreto, Toronto Star. Jilted Bride, Art Project, Advertising Prop, The Mystery in White. Flotsam is floating wreckage and jetsam is that which has been thrown overboard. Which of these is the wedding dress? I have two friends, Edda Dolcetti and Peter Lenarden. They like to go prowling around the city with their cameras. One evening just before the snow fell, they were on the boardwalk near the Humber River when... Oh, let them tell the story. It was towards um, the evening. The sun was just about setting. And as the uh, shoreline turns here, I noticed something from the corner of my eye and it was, uh, looked like a mound of white garbage bags. We walked down and um, examined it and saw that it was a wedding dress. We were concerned that there might be a body in there and it started to become very eerie. As we examined it further, we realized it was just the empty wedding dress. The dress was floating. Peter said, we should pull it out. And I said, absolutely. You want to be able to, to rescue this thing and uh, take care of it, to bring it back to life. Who the heck would throw their wedding dress in, in the water and why? Here I am, hurry, save me. It is neither too late, nor too far. 
They felt uneasy. Here is everywhere, they said. And silence fell. But what is the true story of the wedding dress in the lake? Was it cast into the water by a woman whose marriage went sour in a hurry? Is this the dress of a bride who was jilted at the altar? Was it used as a prop in some crass advertising shoot? The too clever handiwork of art students echoing Ophelia? Or might this be evidence of some hip, new, previously unreported trend? The post-wedding ditching of the finery off the deck of a party boat hired by the happy couple. This is TLN. I saw in the Toronto Star this article by uh, Joe Fiorito. I am the producer of the program called Viva Domenica. Uh, be a producer, I am a hunter. I'm looking for continually interesting stories. And I just told, we cannot survive uh, without this story. You know, because it's a mystery for me. Definitely it's a mystery because uh, you don't find every day a wedding, complete wedding dress in the lake. Make me curious why... Uh, the wind just blow away this from the balcony, somebody hanging out and dried, or just somebody was angry and told, that's it, is enough. Sometimes I believe if we not happy, uh, it's a bad thing if we keep it, this unhappiness inside. We, we have to find a way to let go feelings. I am Hungarian, and in Hungary they says, not the ring keep together the people, but the heart. Eight, seven, six, five, no bumper, four, three, two, push, one. They met through art, and through the eyes of a camera, they've been discovering the world, finding excitement, passion, and sometimes mystery. Welcome to Edda Dolcetti and Peter Lenardon. Thank you for coming. Thanks for inviting us. One day, you were taking picture of this one. When something captured your attention, what? As I was walking along the boardwalk, I noticed a, a, a white sort of um, pile, and it looked like white garbage bags. And I thought, oh, somebody polluted the lake. So I walked towards it, and Peter was walking a little bit ahead of me. So let's go. It had to happen. Sooner, later, nearer, farther. Life will be forgotten. Eyes will no longer fill up with tears. Here, maybe outside of the lake. Why did you decide to take it home? Well, yes, it couldn't stay in the lake after all. <laughs> I mean, something right, like that. Shouldn't. We had a new washer and dryer. That's right. You have to try it out. <laughs> so they were the first. They were the last. They were alone. A million laughs. Bright hopes. Poor little creatures. Now has 
also even more meanings. Yeah. Who knows, maybe somebody listening to the story, they're going to call you tomorrow to well, say, hey, okay, as it belongs to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we can finally find out if it was a, an upset uh, bride-to-be, yes. they decided to break up uh, the engagement, or maybe somebody just lost it, who knows. Yes. Um, yeah, I want to thank you so much for coming. And, uh, Come into our musty basement. <laughs> it seems kind of like a little monument here in the basement. I kind of got used to seeing it coming down and, and having it hang down here. I said, well, how am I going to get it clean? And Pete said, brand new washing machine. We just got it that morning. A little wool light. That'll do it. I put it in on gentle. It popped out just like that. It was in very good shape. There was no real damage to it, so it looked like it had been worn once. It's um, a little over the top. It's not my, my kind of, of design, but it's beaded. It has lace work. It has a bustle with a cascading ribbon uh, design with a train lace all, scallop lace all around. It has puffy sleeves. And um, so I'm thinking that probably around the 80s, the early 80s, or maybe the late 70s. And so it's not a, re I don't think it's a recent design. Woman, what's your name? I don't know. Where do you come from? I don't know. Did you bite the hand of friendship? I don't know. Do you still exist? I don't know. So, size-wise, it's probably around a six or so. It's very petite. So, and it's very beautifully finished inside. Everything's all... You know, um, my mother was a seamstress, so I, you know, learned a very young, at a very young age, an appreciation for all the handiwork that this entails. She made wedding dresses too, and I helped her actually turn tiny, tiny little loops like this into button uh, loops all the way down the back of a dress. She turned them inside out and hand stitched them and put them in place, and there would be at least you know, a hundred of those things on the back of a dress. The bow in the back is really sculptured in this cascading set of bows that creates this bustle. I think the love is right there. After Joe wrote the article, I kind of expected someone would say, oh, well, you know, that's, that's mine, quietly sort of make an arrangement, or, or someone say, I'm getting married, I love the story, I'm just, you know, I'm just captivated by that story, I'd love to be able to have this dress, and I would gladly give it to that person, right? But no one, you know, revealed themselves. No one came up and said, oh, that's my dress. It made me, um, it made me sad.
Hello, I'm Edda. Yes. I'm Nick Davis. Mm -hmm. I am uh, one of the producers on Metro Morning. We're going to take you in the studio. Okay. Um, Andy's really cool, so don't okay. worry about it. Just relax okay. and take it easy, and he'll lead the discussion, okay. so don't worry about it. You're going to bring the oh. dress with you? Yes. yes. Okay. Would you mind if I carry this? No, not at all. Atlanta Falcons quarterback Mike. So Andy, this is Edda. Hi, Edda. Edda. Andy. How are you? Listen Good to, to see you. Now, wait a second. Don't take it away. I want to. I'm, of, bring you I'm not a fabric fetishist or anything, but I want to look at it. <laughs> so it's the real. I don't know why I thought it would be stained or or dis, you know look discarded. It doesn't look like it just came out of its wrapping paper. And you didn't notice when you were looking. There were no tears on it or anything. I mean, no. You couldn't, no. There weren't any grass stains or anything no grounded. Grass stains on the wedding dress. They couldn't wait for the wedding night, I guess. Here. <laughs> you sit down over there, and we'll do it. You ready? We are going to explore to open the show this morning something of a mystery, a mystery that washed up on the shores of Lake Ontario, was seen by the woman who's joined us in the studio, and will be explained, perhaps, who knows, by you. Etta Dolcetti is an artist who lives in Toronto's West End. On a recent outing, she and her husband Peter found something remarkable on one of their walks, something floating on the lake. And that's where the story begins. Etta Dolcetti is with me in the studio. Good morning. Good morning. So take us back to this walk and this discovery. What made you think there was something strange about what you were seeing? Well, my husband and I were walking uh, along the shore, um, and I thought I would take a photograph, and uh, in the corner of my eye, I caught this mound. They lived in life open to all the winds, foredoomed from birth in farewell bodies. She read his last letter. He sang old lullabies. This will never end. This has already ended. I told you so. I told you so. What are we doing here, where there is nothing? And then you began, which is bringing us to the purpose of your visit today. Yes. To think about it. Yes. To wonder about it. Yes. To ask why this gorgeous wedding dress, sans bride, wound up in Lake Ontario. Absolutely. There's well, there's something. a true story behind it, which yes. we may never know. Right. And there are all the speculations, which I guess we're going to invite our listeners to share with us. Yes. Edda Dolcetti is a painter who lives in Toronto. If you have a theory, well, let's not call it a theory. We want you to tell us the story of this wedding dress. This is what it sounds like to inspire you. If you've got a story, we want you to tell it to us at 416-205-6017. Leave a message. Etta, good luck. Thank you. Hold on, we've got a telephone call here. Hello? You say your name is Miss Havisham. <laughs> 
Hi, I'm calling about the wedding dress uh, that was found in the water. And um, I think, this is a romantic side of me, says that the dress used to, it actually was a message in a bottle. And it was, you know, sent to somebody's, the person they loved. And what happened was the cork came off the bottle. And when water hit the note, it turned into this beautiful wedding dress. I see a picture of many, many years ago, two lovers on the shore of Lake Ontario. On their wedding eve, he tragically drowns in a fishing boat in a freak summer storm, and his body is never recovered. She pines for months, inconsolable. Finally, distraught, she takes a boat out to a point on the lake where he vanished beyond the bay, and there, dressed in her wedding gown, she plunges into the waters to find her lost love. And she's sucked into the depths of the lake and perishes. Years later, the gown floats to the surface to be tossed back and forth on the waters until it finally lands on the shore. And then it's found. But a legend surrounds this dress. Anyone who takes it from the waters of Lake Ontario will release, finally, that tormented soul to be reunited with her husband-to-be. I think that the wedding dress ended up in the lake when um, the bride found out that the groom was uh, cheating on her and she tossed it into the lake and it got swept onto the beach. I think she may have probably been Canadian and maybe with some brown long hair, brown eyes. She just got really mad and um, she really didn't want to be married anymore and wanted to get rid of all the evidence of ever liking the man. They're on a boat in Lake Ontario and they're celebrating their wedding and they become very, very amorous and they go down below while all their guests are up having cocktails and eating and fighting and drinking and carousing and they make love and he removes her dress and then somehow or other a porthole is open and the dress blows out the window and she has to figure out how she can go back upstairs and see her guests in her underwear. Take me, dissolve me under your tongue, swallow me, wash me down with water. What are you waiting for? Have faith in chemistry's compassion. Sell me your soul. There's no other buyer likely to turn up. No other devil left. Hand your abyss over to me. I will line it with soft sleep. You'll be grateful.
thank you all for your patience. Good afternoon, everyone, including brides to be. Is my DJ ready? Our first model will be Claudia. at all the other dresses that are here and uh, they're more up to date and they look in you know fairly new order mine's been in the lake <laughs> and uh, so I'm feeling a little bit like it might be rejected but they didn't see it floating on the water thank you Claudia before we get to our next model there's actually a very great story behind this dress the wedding dress in the lake. This dress has a story, it's a mystery, but the woman who found it is here with us today. Edda Dossetti, please stand for me, Edda. And her husband pulled the dress out of the lake, squeezed out the sand and water, took it home and put it in a washing machine in the delicate cycle with some moolite. It came out beautifully. As you can see on our lovely model, Jennifer, the dress is made of white taffeta and a drop list. Let's get Jennifer out. There is lace and beading. Although there's no label, we think it's about size six or even a four. Edda would love to see this dress take on a new life with a new bride. If you would like to be part of this story of the dress, of this dress, now is your chance. Wedding dress in the lake. Simply beautiful. Next up is Rochelle. Can I take a look? Sure, do you fit it? <laughs> it looks like you would. <laughs> I I got engaged like a few days ago. Oh, very interesting. You know what? You look like you're the size. Can I try it on? Sure, why not? Maybe I'll need some help zipping it up. Let's see. You're like Cinderella. This is teensy. Wow, you're teensy. <laughs> so, yeah, you know what? The best thing to do is to step in it. Yeah. And then pull it up over your over your hips. Mm. Oh, this is awesome! Holy cow! Oh my God, I can't believe it. Like this. <laughs> it <fits. laughs> I can't believe it. Look at that! It is the right size. It's, 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 made, it's made for you. Oh my God! Oh my goodness! That is amazing. And just to think that yeah, it's, it's a, a total mystery. Wow. Mm -hmm. I know. Imagine I these things would be dangling in the water and yes. fish would be nibbling yeah. at them like lures. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Well, I should take this off before I get too attached and <laughs> run away with it. She looked lovely in it. It just showed so beautifully well, and even with all the, the more modern dresses. But um, I'm disappointed that 
the, the women weren't impressed. I had a lot of hopes. The dress was a slight novelty and then cast off. Croatia is a nation that knows a thing or two about historic breakups. The Museum of Broken Relationships began in Zagreb. So what types of things are there in the actual show? So it all started, the first object is a small toy of a bunny. So we still get those usual objects that one would expect, like love letters, uh, engagement rings, and I love you teddies. But now it kind of goes to more extravagant uh, things. For example, we got one axe, we got a Christmas reindeer, a motorcycle, there is um, a bicycle, so really all kinds of objects. My favorite is a centipede. <laughs> and it was a long distance. Umbrellas, a suitcase, gloves, a coat. What use is all that to me? But it is, in a way, a therapeutic experience, I think, uh, to donate things. Uh, in a way, they feel comforted that these particular items are not buried in a box somewhere and never see the light of day, kind of preserves the memory. I mean, unfortunately, um, it was only... Safety pins, this comb or that, a paper rose, a knife. I have no regrets about anything. Hello, Mr. Dobrovic? Yes, hi. Yes, this is Etta Dolcetti. Um, I'm calling about the Museum of Broken Relationships. I heard the interview that you had with the CBC radio, and I was, I was wondering if you are still accepting donations. A wedding dress floating in the lake. We live near um, uh, Lake Ontario here in Canada. But you didn't find exactly the person, or so it's just um, no. It it is it is still a mystery. Point. Yeah, it's still a mystery. Okay. Did you find something else? Well, there were just a- other um, accessories to the wedding dress, like uh, gloves, and but uh, I, I wasn't able to reach them because they were too far down into the water. But the dress was floating. It was very um, very oh. picturesque. Did they exist or not? On an island or not? Was it an ocean or not? That swallowed them up or not? I, uh, you know, I like this idea. It would be a nice um, addition to yes. the. Um, to this exhibition. Yes. Yeah, so. w- would you would you display it um, floating in water, perhaps, or like in a, in a glass pool or something? Yes. Did someone have someone to love? Did someone have someone to fight with? Did everything happen 
or nothing, there or not there. No, seriously, please send me the wedding dress. I would be really happy to receive it and then I can, I will meet the artist. So, bon voyage, princess, lovely girl in white. Carry on, float away. I hope, um, I hope you float away into, into a good place. I was hoping that I would find a good, a good place for you. I looked back from loneliness and a gust of wind undid my hair and lifted up my garment. If anyone had seen me, they might have thought me dancing. The Wedding Dress in the Lake by Susan Mahoney and Steve Wadhams. The story originally aired on Ideas on CBC Radio. To see pictures of the dress, visit thirdcoastfestival.org. Loneliness. Loneliness is no new thing. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival. I'm Gwen Maxi. You know you don't have to listen to this sort of thing. You can just turn it off. It's so dreadful. I've been listening all day. Honey, why do you listen to it? Why? Next, a radio drama. But not a radio drama like you might expect, full of ridiculous Foley effects and egregious overacting. I thought it might make you happy. I wanted to make you happy. No, no, no. Don't quarrel with me, please. This is a drama done right full of subtle sound design and believable, sympathetic performances. Here's Eat Cake by Jonathan Mitchell. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Look at Trisket. Trisket. Today's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. You're my Valentine, right? You're my Valentine. It gets to be a bit much with all the couples everywhere and candy out everywhere and cards and bears. Flower. But I have this tradition. I'm going to make a cake. I make a coconut cake, and then I go to a movie. Where's my sugar? It started like seven years ago, okay. last time I had a boyfriend on Valentine's Day. Turn on the oven. The first year it was actually a chocolate cake, because Chad liked chocolate cake, and he wanted to go see a movie. I went to see some stupid movie. Eggs. What was it? Oh no. Oh, do I have eggs? Yes. The next year, I had just broken up with him on (laughs) New Year's. So I still made a cake, but I made a coconut cake. This is not for you. Because that's my favorite. You don't like cake, Trisket. Nobody likes coconut cake. Chad hated coconut cake. Get away, get away, go away. That is hot. And I went to a movie that I chose. Trisket is the cat. Who's that cat? Trisket is the... What are you... What is all over you? Oh, gross. 
What do you do all day? Uh, uh. I'm coming, I'm coming. Hello? Hello, I'm calling to speak with Elizabeth Kostek. Uh, this is she? Hi, Elizabeth. My name is Brian Privet. Hello. Hi, I am calling people I haven't met before on Valentine's Day to say hello. Are you serious? Yes. Are you selling something? <laughs> no. What is this? It's just completely random. I picked your name out of a phone book, and <laughs> I'm just calling to say hello. So, hello, I'm Brian. <laughs> There's something about talking to people I don't know that feels better than talking to people I do know on Valentine's Day. My friends, they've already heard it. They've heard it hundreds of times before that I'm alone. <laughs> they don't need to hear it again. Hello? Hello, Pat. Pat Etchell? Yeah? Hi. Hi. Na- my name is Brian Privet. And I, I guess I'm it's a tradition now. This will be the third year that I call people on the telephone who I don't know just to reach out and connect with someone. How, how did you get my number? I just picked it at random. <laughs> I, random I, from where? Oh, just the telephone book. Why are you calling? Some people don't want to talk on the phone. Uh, no, thanks. Sometimes it makes me feel worse. I'm, I'm sorry. I just don't have time to talk to someone who's weird right now. Uh, oh, I understand it, but it, it doesn't feel good. But you'd be surprised. I'm a lot of times. I'm surprised by how many people will um, chat, and uh, it's it's nice. It's a nice surprise. So I appreciate it when somebody will listen to me. Oh, so that's why I listen to people when they come and talk to me. Oh, well, that's good. I've never seen any of these people. I don't know what they look like, and I've definitely never met any of them. I I don't want that, and I don't try to take it to that. I always look in the phone book, and same thing here. I just opened up the page, and it happened to be on the K's. Here we go. Elizabeth Kostek. All right, here we go, Elizabeth. Okay, well, hello, Brian. That was very weird and interesting of you. Have a good night. Jeff, it'll only take a moment. I'm Um, I'm sort of busy right now. I'm making a cake. What kind of cake are you baking? I'm making a coconut cake. So good luck with your thing. I like that. I love coconut cakes. I had no, one. you're definitely a weirdo. <laughs> no, no. I had one for my birthday when I was eight. Really? Yeah. Did you ask for that or did your parents just do it? I asked for it. Really? Definitely. I've always loved coconut um, on everything. And I asked for it on my birthday and not everybody ate it. It didn't get finished and that was great because I got to eat it. Hmm. What's the flavor on the inside? Uh, just white cake. Yeah, that's good. I, that's I feel best. like it sets off the coconut taste the best. It is. That is the best. It's the best for coconut cake. Some people try chocolate in coconut cake. I always want that to be better than it actually is. Yeah, because it's moist, but um, it just doesn't go together. Yeah, they don't work right. Different kinds of creaminess. Why am I talking to you? Because it's nice to talk to someone, isn't it? Is this how you pick people up? No, no. You do this, you call somebody, and then you're like, hey, come on. hey, It's not about that at all. It's not about that at all. No, no, I never, I, I never meet the people face to face. So you, uh, you'll call people, but you won't meet them? Never. How do you know? Oh, um, well, I didn't think of, maybe on accident I've met them. Mm. It's possible, I guess. If so it, you could accidentally meet somebody, but you just don't do it on purpose. Right. 
Like, if I was going to go to the movies, you could accidentally go to the same movie? Yeah, that, if that happened, if we accidentally, a, a few years from now, went to the same movie theater and I... But what if later tonight I was going to go see The Princess Bride at the Biograph at 9.30? Oh, no. I, I'm not trying to get a date out of this. This is just... Why not? Are you scared? Um... You sound scared. <laughs> um... I, I mean, I just called you on the phone. That would that would be weird if we met, wouldn't it? It was just an offhand comment. You can do whatever you want. I just think it's weird that you call people and then are scared to actually meet them. Well, um, okay. I think it's not that much stranger to ask somebody who you've just met on the telephone to come see a movie with you. You don't even know. I know that that's what I did. I, that's not why I'm doing this. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to make some other calls after this. and. Okay, fine. Okay, okay. But, you know, just so you know, 9.30. Okay. And I'm going to have a whole piece of coconut cake. I hope you enjoy it. Taxi! Ah, thank you. Um, I am going to Greenwood and 47th. Okay. That's the theater, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Go to the movies? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. What are you going to say? Um, I- I'm seeing uh, The Princess Bride. That's an old movie, right? Yeah, they're showing it again for Valentine's Day. Oh, uh, yeah? Date? No, no. No? No, no, I'm, um, maybe meeting a friend. What do you mean? Well, he might not be there. We've never met. You never met the guy? No, he just called me on the phone. He called? How did he get your phone number? Out of the phone book. He picked your name out of a phone book and called you? Yeah. And then you told him where you're going to be? Yeah. That's bold. I'm going to be in public. Is this how you date? No. It's not a date. How many how many boyfriends you had before? It's none of your business. Okay, fair enough. I've had a lot of girlfriends. I'm sure you have. Guess. Guess? Yeah. I don't know, uh, 20. It's a good guess. You've had 20 girlfriends? Those are girlfriends. Those are serious relationships. I've, 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 I've had dalliances with hundreds of women. Oh. And this all works out for you? You're telling me this is the way I should be living? It's working for me. Your way sounds lonely to me. Really? Yeah. But at least I'm with somebody. At least I'm with somebody? Yeah. That's a great life philosophy. Well, what's your life philosophy? I don't know. See what happens next. Can I help you? Hi, I'd like to get one for Princess Bride. It'll be 11.50. Here you go. Pardon, Elizabeth Kostick? Uh, yes. Brian. Are you okay? Hi. Hi. <laughs> Did, you knew me because of the cake. Yeah, I thought about that after we got off the phone. I was like, how will she know? And I'm like, well, she'll have cake. <laughs> yeah, I brought cake. Yeah. This is, this is all very weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lot different than talking on the phone. You don't look like I thought you'd look. Oh, uh, clothes, hair. <laughs> yeah, you have clothes and hair, which yeah. I wasn't expecting. <laughs> yeah, you too. I, I didn't. I, I didn't expect you to be blonde. Uh, I don't know if my voice is blonde. Yeah, I don't think it is. I don't know. <laughs> well, we should go in. Oh yeah, yeah, right. So what happened to uh, to not meeting people that you called? Coconut cake and Princess Bride. How could I? You broke your rule. Well, it's going pretty well so far. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, there's no food in the theater, ma'am. Um, oh. Uh, it's just she... a piece of cake. <laughs> yeah, she made it. You'll have to take it outside. 
Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't even think of that. I don't, I mean, it's not like they sell cake. We're not going to buy. You know what? I'm just going to throw out the cake and we can just go in. No, no. You you spent so much time making it and it it looks great. It looks delicious. Yeah, I sort of have this thing. I see a movie every Valentine's Day. Well, um, maybe uh, this will be a new tradition, getting kicked out of movie theaters (laughs) for trying to bring in cake. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, let's uh, we'll, we'll find a place where we can eat cake. Okay. All right. Eat Cake by Jonathan Mitchell. The story originally aired on the very last episode of Weekend America, which ended in 2009. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival. I'm Gwen Maxi. When Katie Mangle, the producer of this very radio show, lived in Mexico, she fell in love with the place. She also fell in love with Cynthia, who didn't love her back. If I could assign an image to Mexico, it would be a human heart beating, bleeding, ready to burst. If the U.S. is gray or blue, Mexico must be red or orange, burning with emotion and always brazenly overblown and bordering on gaudy. For example, on the show La Academia, the Mexican version of American Idol, the contestants sing on a stage surrounded by water. Dolphins leap into the air. At times, they become so overcome with emotion that they throw themselves into the water, still singing. Their mothers make frequent visits to the set, and everyone wails and weeps. And so, when I think of Cynthia, my own feelings float around in the landscape of Mexico, her name drawn out across the sky with airplane smoke letters or sung with the dramatic swipe of some Latin-sounding chords on the guitar. Cynthia, I love that you don't love me. Cynthia, I'd walk through the desert to find you roses. Cynthia, everyone needs someone to dream about. Cynthia sold silver jewelry in Tepotzlan, which was a neighboring town to Cuernavaca, where I lived. Sometimes I would take the bus there and sit with her while she did this. To get to the bus, I had to make my way through the main market. I had to patiently wade through the long hallway of people selling batteries, shoes, belts, and alarm clocks. My body pressed up against a sea of other bodies. I had to go up a set of steps where they sold colored baskets and dull knives, and then down a long hallway that smelled like sour milk strong enough to incite riots in your lower intestines. I had to go past the pirated DVDs, pushing all the way to the part that smelled like fresh basil and tangerines and sweat. The ticket cost 15 pesos. The ride was an hour long. Once I finally got there, I usually regretted going. Cynthia and I didn't always have much to talk about, and sometimes I felt like I was bothering her. There were always men coming by just to flirt with her. A British guy came by once and bought some expensive earrings. He asked her about the book she was reading and acted really awkward trying to come up with things to say. What a loser, I thought. And then I realized I'd been sitting there for the last two hours, acting awkward, trying to think of things to say. 
And this is how it mostly went with us, 90% awkward, 10% wonderful. I would sit on the curb next to her, smoking, shifting my weight around, looking at my feet. I wanted to grab her and say, hey, I'm interesting, I'm funny. If you could know me in my language, you would like me. But instead, I just smoked and acted aloof. Around six, she'd pack up for the day and we'd ride the bus home together, or she'd try to find some weed to smoke. Once we rode on a moped with this hippie kid up into the hills of Tepotzlan to his house. There were three of us on the moped and the kid was driving like a maniac up the dirt roads. Wild dogs were chasing us with their teeth at our ankles. I liked it anyway because Cynthia kept saying, hold me tighter. And we rode up into the lush green hills of the town, up and up to where you could see the valley below and the clouds making storms above a blue-green sea of faraway fields. In his cinderblock house in the mountains, the hippie kid put on reggae music and they took bong hits. They talked about weed and I looked around, absorbing the array of psychedelic posters. Buddha with fractals and marijuana leaves fanning out behind him. Bob Marley hitting a spliff. It was comforting to know hippies had the same posters, no matter where you might be in the world. Cynthia was one of those weed smokers that didn't seem to change at all from sober to stoned. She was so smooth. In the market, she took me to the stand she always went to and ordered us quesadillas and lime waters. The men in the market knew her and flirted with her. I liked the way she handled them, with this smooth self-assurance that was playful but always completely in control. Cynthia was a friend of Jimena, the woman I lived with. That's how we met, and that's how we first kissed. Because Jimena, who was always looking for an excuse to kiss everyone in the room, forced us all into playing spin the bottle. Later, we all went to sleep. The kids were spending the night with their dad, so Cynthia took their empty bed across the room from me. When the lights were out and the room was dark and still, she said to me in English, Good night. Good night, Cynthia, I said back. And I lay there, wishing I could figure out a way to accomplish the impossible task of getting from my bed over to hers, wondering if there was even the slightest chance that she wanted me there. When suddenly, out of the hot darkness, she said to me, Katie, Ven. I went to her in her bed and we lay there, our faces close together, our legs entangled. She told me she liked kissing me in the game, and then she kissed me again. We kissed again and again and again, and she said, I could kiss you forever and not get tired of it. But as it turned out, she could only kiss me for about two more weeks before she was pretty well over it. And I was left so starry-eyed, finding myself writing her name inside of hearts during my Spanish lessons, taking the bus to Tepotzlan. She was such a mystery, so inconsistent. Sometimes on our way home, on the bus, she'd hold my hand secret-like, so none of the old campesinos and tired families could see. We'd talk quietly as the bus rattled through the blue dusk. Other days, she'd stare out the window, cold and distant. Eventually, this ambiguity became too hard to bear. In another language, in another culture, I needed something more tangible. I wrote her a letter in Spanish all about how I felt. When she read it, she looked at me and said, What the hell are you talking about? She really said it just like that, but in Spanish, and she laughed. Maybe I hadn't explained myself right in the letter. Then she stopped coming by. I didn't have a phone, and neither did she. 
I didn't know where she lived, so I couldn't find her. And so Cynthia left my life as quickly as she had come into it. And I'm sure she doesn't miss me. And I'm sure she doesn't often recall that night when we first kissed. How did I ever let that one slip away, is what I bet she doesn't think to herself longingly. Find Cynthia. Be that way. See if it stops me from thinking of you when I listen to the catchy, heartfelt love anthems of Mexico, or when I daydream of your country so far away now with its blood-red heartbeat, where dolphins leap and mothers weep. I know it was me all along with my heart on my sleeve, so I'll be red and you be blue. But Cynthia, everyone needs someone to dream about, even you. That was Cynthia by ReSound producer Katie Mingle. Loneliness. I think about all of you and miss you so much. Every day. You just don't have any idea, Mom and Dad, Cookie, Sandy and Terry, how good it was to hear your voices again. ReSound is a production of the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Katie Mingle and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. Support for ReSound comes from Dojo, a full-service digital agency. On the web at doejo.com. Dojo, we fuel ideas that grow. The Third Coast Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Boeing Company Charitable Trust, the Agadino Foundation, the Menaki Foundation, Chicago's Navy Pier, and American Airlines. This program is partially supported by a grant from the Illinois Arts Council, a state agency. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Resound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.